Welcome in. It's a new edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast, and it is great to have you with us. Alongside Chris Dorch, I'm Kevin Ingram. As we move into the month of August, we're edging closer to the college basketball season. It's still a ways away, but not that far. And Chris is putting in the work on the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook, which is really the most important part. What's going on, man? Well, uh, as, as I do that, uh, uh, I look at you and your family with envy as you toured Chi-Town this week. Uh, uh, that must have been a cool little trip for you. And I know you liked the Reds and you were able to see them in Wrigley Field. And you went to Sears Tower, which I don't know if my fear of heights would, <laughs> would allow me to do that one or not. But uh, sounds like you've been having fun. Yeah, we have. Uh, we we did a quick little trip up to Chicago this week. Uh, my son's birthday was this week, and he's getting ready to go back to school. So uh, just trying to you know, squeeze in one last trip before everything gets cranked back up again. But, yeah, we went to Reds and Cubs at, at Wrigley on Monday night, and uh, we, we picked the right game to go to if you're a Reds fan because the Cubs have scored 36 runs since then in, in two wins as we uh, record this on, <laughs> on Thursday morning. Um, I, I'd been to Wrigley a few times. Uh, I've seen the Reds play there several times over the years, over about a 30-year span. But uh, it, it's it's fabulous. If you like baseball, that's that to me is about as good as a guess. I, I was thinking, you know, the I've been to Wrigley and, and Fenway and Dodger Stadium and been to Old Yankee Stadium, you know, a whole bunch of the ballparks over the years. But I would put those four almost in a, in a class by themselves. Uh, but Wrigley is just a really cool baseball experience. It's a beautiful place with the Ivy and, you know, just right there in the middle of the neighborhood and all that. Oh, yeah. And, and that's a really interesting ballpark. I know this is a basketball podcast, but we, we talk baseball sometimes. Yeah. They, they basically rebuilt that stadium over the span of a few years. They uh, they gutted out the lower bowl and, and redid underneath and, and built new clubhouses and, and club seating stuff and, and then built it back and put the seats back on top. They did the same thing in the outfield. Like all those bleachers, uh, they, they redid all the bleachers and all that and, and added more and uh it's it's, it's neat it's a uh, just a, a cool place to see a game and uh reds held on for a 6-5 win the night we were there and then we played tourist and yeah we did go up into the uh, sears tower i guess it's called the willis tower now but uh to, yeah. me, to me it's the sears tower because that's what it was for a long sure. time but that elevator that goes from basically ground level or, or a couple stories below ground level to over a hundred stories in about ninety seconds. That's the fastest elevator I've ever been on. It was amazing. Yeah, how, man. How, I, how I don't know if that would freak there. me out. You know, <laughs> I, I have a. Yeah, I can see a little bit of uh, fear of heights, but it's so neat having that view of the city because you can walk all the way around when you get up to the observation level. You can walk all the way around and see, you know, all different parts yeah. of Chicago. And then they have you know the, this part called the ledge where they they built these these. Uh, glass ledges where you can walk out and, and you basically stand over a clear you know ledge that, that looks down onto the you know buildings and street and everything so we did all that and took all the pictures and we went to the shed aquarium and the field museum and the navy pier and michigan avenue we played tourist and we saw a lot of stuff in a short amount of time so a fun well, you trip, did it right trip. man I, I have a i have a cousin who made his bones as a dentist obviously did well for himself he's got a brownstone in that wrigley neighborhood wow and uh i haven't talked to him that much over the years but uh i feel like i should go up there and visit him he <laughs> was drop yeah. in sometime yeah just drop in and and uh but yeah i can't imagine what that property is worth but uh uh i've always uh, liked shy town too I've, I've had cousins up there of course i'm from illinois so that was always the place you wanted to be if you were 
uh, a little Southern Illinois boy like me. <laughs> you want to make the big city of, of Chicago. There you go. Uh, while uh, I was on a trip, you were working away on Blue Ribbon. Give us a, a quick update on production and also uh, pre-order information for those thinking about buying the book. Absolutely, and thank you for that. Uh, we're about a third of the way through the process. Um, uh, we're entering into what I like to call the red zone, uh, <laughs> where we have to squeeze in what we've did in the, in the previous two months in, in like three weeks. Uh, a, a lot of stories and a lot of copy are coming in. Uh, that's when I tell all my guys, uh, the old John Wooden staple, be quick, but don't hurry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, let's don't make any mistakes at this point in the, in the ball game. If you want to pre-order and a lot of people have, we haven't even announced it yet, except on this podcast. You can go to blueribbonyearbook.com and um, got a new printer this year, and hopefully the book will uh, resume coming out in mid-October, as it always has. Last year we had a printer that delivered it in November. I was bummed about that, as were a lot of our fans. Uh, and then, of course, the digital will be available the first week in September. So we're really just a little over a month of of having the book out in digital form so i'm excited about that do you have like the blue ribbon pyramid of success that that you uh, go over with all your writers before uh, each each time you put together the uh, the yearbook i call it br- bringing out the lash <laughs> 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 no i you know i realize that um as big an enterprise as we've become i'm the only full-time employee Everybody else is uh, a contract worker, and I realize that I'm not their only boss. So rather than bring out the lash, I joke about that. Um, I just have to prod, cajole, and poke. Uh, I try try to bring on at least two of my students every year. This year I've got four, and I'm teaching them how to uh, meet deadlines. So far, they're making a failing grade in that. Uh, but they are seem to they, they seem to enjoy the process. They've spoken to coaches, uh, you know. They they've gotten good stuff, and we just have a really tremendous team of people, you included, that that helped me with this thing. And it's unbelievable. I've done twenty six of these, and ten of the old football books at six hundred and fifty thousand words each. So. That's a bunch of words uh, that I've read on behalf of this publication, not even counting the old tournament guide that we used to put out. So uh, this thing is consumed. It's crazy. It's consumed a big, big part of my life. Well, let's talk about what's going on with conferences and so forth. And it seems like you read something new almost every day. The, The Big 12, let's start there. That conference has not only saved itself from extinction, but added some good teams, and it really seems to be on stable ground. Uh, they've added Colorado coming back just in the last few days. That announcement was made that the, the Buffaloes will be returning to the league. Uh, they go from 10 to 14 teams for this season, and then Oklahoma and Texas are going to leave for the SEC. But uh, just back in July, BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF uh, became official members of the Big 12. But what do you have you liked about the way they've gone about this, where they didn't just – throw in the towel and say, oh, we're getting raided by all these other leagues, but we're trying to add programs that are going to make us stronger in the long run. Dude, the clock had struck midnight. The governor had said no dice to an appeal, and they were taking that last mile 
uh, walk uh, if you believe some of the pundits after Oklahoma and Texas said they were going to split. You know, everybody thought, assumed uh, incorrectly that the Big 12 was going to pull the El Foldo. And uh, quite the opposite has happened, and it's, a, it's an excellent study in contrast with the Pac-12, which has done everything wrong. Uh, their former commissioner knew that USC was unhappy, did nothing about it, uh, tried to start a network that turned out to be a joke, didn't get a good TV deal. I've heard the best TV package they're going to get is on Apple TV, which, you know, not that many people get. Right. So UCLA and USC bolt. And now uh, another crack is Colorado, which goes back home to the Big 12. Who knows what Utah, Arizona, and Arizona State might might not follow. But here's a lesson in, I think, in, in thinking out of the box, uh, let me let me just go over a couple of things that the Big Twelve has done. All right, uh, once the SEC uh, pulled out of its ACC SEC challenge, uh, obviously because Texas and Oklahoma were joining the SEC, there was going to be some bad blood there. But the Big Twelve immediately entered into the Big East challenge, which is going to be a good thing. Another thing they're doing this summer. Big 12 hoops in the park. Okay. You might think, okay, what Midwestern town are they doing that in? No, Rucker Park in New oh, York wow. City. And I mean, people like Scott Drew, uh, Mark Pope of BYU, Jerome Tang at K State, Jamie Dixon of TCU went up there and gave clinics, spreading the brand. Uh, they've also launched an initiative um, called Big 12 Mexico, where they've extended south of the border uh, to, you know, just show off their brand. And here's another cool thing that I don't think has been that well reported. And our listeners will think this is cool. I I know they will because I think it's cool. Uh, The the NCAA is kicking around the idea of allowing college basketball teams in D1 to have two exhibition games in the summer. And it's no surprise to me that John Williams, uh, who's the Big 12's vice president in charge of men's basketball, is on the chair of this, what they call summer initiative working group. Uh, And what it's gonna do, uh, they say, uh, is to provide a positive summer competition experience for student athletes that further enhances their skill development. Uh, But it's gonna be two exhibition games. Uh, You can play in your league or out of your league And I think that would really be cool. Uh, John Williams of the Big 12 said this is an opportunity for student athletes, coaches, and administrators to work collaboratively to determine specifics. So we'll see what happens of that. It'll make things interesting as we produce Blue Ribbon. I mean, it'll be cool to actually go see a game of the teams you're writing about. Um, I hope they don't close them like they do those uh, preseason closed scrimmages. I think that's such a farce. They don't even allow the coaches to talk about it or anything. And everybody knows they're going on and, um, you know, word leaks out about who won and who did this or that. Oh yeah. You it's always find like, out. Yeah. It's kind of like James Bond stuff. You got to suss it out, but I hope these are, you know, public and, but it just goes to show you that, uh, you know, 
Uh, it's it's a life lesson. You know, you get knocked to the ground like the Big 12 did. You pick yourself up. It's not the end of the world. Uh, pick yourself up and dust yourself off and start all over again. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Uh, but, um, yeah, um, I, I just hats off to the Big 12. I think those summertime games sound like fun. You get out there and put the uniforms on, play somebody else, and uh, there'd be some interest and be, so, be very there's something cool. for TV in the middle of the summer when there's not always a, a ton going on, especially in terms of college basketball. So that sounds like a good idea to me. Uh, the Big Ten's talking about potentially more expansion, maybe Washington and Oregon coming aboard. Uh, not a whole lot of excitement. It doesn't seem about uh, some of the other teams from the Pac-12, maybe Stanford or Cal or something like that. Another one, uh, league. I wonder what might look like in a few years is the ACC. You have Florida State's president talking about potentially leaving the conference, unhappy with the league's revenue distribution. Uh, I guess wanting a bigger piece of the pie. I've always thought Florida State and Clemson would be good fits in the SEC. I mean, they're they're football heavy schools or Absolutely. you know powers in that sport. Uh, and they have natural rivals. Yeah, for sure. They already have built-in natural rivals with with the others in their state, so that that part would be covered too. Um, I was reading something on ESPN. They were saying the ACC would be thirty million dollars behind the SEC and Big Ten in TV revenue distribution once these new deals take effect you know, in the coming years. Uh, so that that might be something to watch as well with, with Florida State. Yeah, I, you know, one coach who you know, set it off the record, but he thought that uh, the time was quickly approaching that we might be uh, in the age of like four super conferences with maybe 20 members each. I think SEC obviously comes to mind, the Big Ten, the Big 12, and probably the Big East. I think there's some room for the Big East to maybe take back some teams like Pitt and Syracuse. And as, as hard as it is to imagine, the ACC, the uh, you know traditionally uh, the college basketball league, could could ultimately be gutted and and maybe left behind in some of this conference expansion. It's it's crazy to think. Uh, we were talking about uh, scheduling a little bit, and you know the leagues are putting together these challenges and some scheduling alliances and those things. A, a few series that we've uh, gotten word of here in, in recent weeks. Gonzaga and San Diego State are going to play a series. We'll play this year in Spokane and then 24-25, the return game in San Diego. You're talking about two of the real powerhouse programs out west. San Diego State, yep. of course, made the, the deep run in the tournament. Both have played in the championship game uh, just in the last few years. Then you have Kansas and North Carolina announcing the Battle of the Blue Bloods home and home. They'll play in 24 and in 25. Can't they just go ahead and start it this season? That was my thought. But it's interesting to me. I, I read that they've only played 12 times ever, and the series is 6-6, six and six, including a national title game a couple years ago. Uh, did they bring out Roy Williams to do the uh, ceremonial jump ball when they, when they play these games? Uh, maybe that's something they could look at. But uh, uh, I think Roy will be there. Yeah, you got to think. I mean, Roy, Roy is no question going to be there anytime yeah. they play. Uh, but that that sounds like a, a great home-and-home home series, and that might be something they look at doing long-term. I love that. I think one of the reasons they didn't do it this year is because Kansas is in a stacked Maui field. Uh, Tennessee is in there, Gonzaga, several others. It's stacked. Uh, but yeah, I was surprised that they'd played so seldom in, in, uh, the long history of college basketball and, and really San Diego state and, and Gonzaga, you'd think that those two would want to play each other. They've only played four times and their series two is split at two, two. 
I think if the Pac-12 had a chance of survival, I would be on Gonzaga and San Diego State's doorstep right now. Sure. And I would be begging those other, especially the Zona schools, uh, to stay put. But it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out. I mean, selfishly speaking, I am still trying to figure out. I used to pride myself. I knew every school and every conference. You could quiz me, and I could tell you where they are. And now I'm still thinking, like, I'm looking for James Madison. You know, why aren't they in the Colonial? Oh, that's right. (laughs) They've moved to the Sun Belt. You know, and it's just like that time and again. And and I, I thank thankfully Patrick Stevens, one of our veteran guys and a real hoops junkie and a great writer, he keeps track of that stuff and helps me keep track and also maintain my sanity. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's just I think there's more change ahead. And it's funny. Yesterday, I was talking to Cliff Ellis, and. Cliff and I go back a long way, and he's 77 years old, the dean of, of D1 coaches now. Wow. Uh, we were talking about how, how all his contemporaries have, have left him behind. Jimmy Beheim, Mike Shevsky, uh Bob Huggins, who was a dear friend of his, although it wasn't Huggins' choice. Uh, and um, Cliff got to talking about the NIL and the portal and how tough it is for, for coaches – in in mid majors, and he had he had a great line. It's only Cliff, who's from Kentucky, could say. He said he felt like he was going into a sword fight with a butter knife. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think a lot of uh, the the more old school coaches and people who have been around the game feel that same way. And I, you know, there, there's a theory, and I, it's probably well founded that a lot of the reason some of these you know guys who are hall of famers are getting out is because they just he mentioned jay Wright, right jay Wright. Uh, you know it's just yeah, because of Roy just, just the way the whole setup is now yeah i think it's just it's really demanding and and if you're not inclined if, if if you let's just say how to put this delicately let's just say some coaches might have had experience at nil before nil was a thing uh that's a good way of putting and it and if you didn't if you if you didn't uh i.e Roy Williams, who uh, doesn't even curse, uh, you know, if you didn't have that kind of experience and all of a sudden you had to get into those waters of making, uh, as one coach famously put it, strong-ass offers, uh, that's not your cup of tea. I've made my millions. I'm going to get out and, and spectate the games or like Jay Wright, I'll get in the Big 12 booth and joust with, with Charles Barkley. Uh, you know, so I don't know if, if I were a coach right now, and, and, and this is something that Cliff talked about. I, I don't think he sounded remotely ready to retire, but he said he could see why others would get out. And, you know, he's obviously at 77 going to think about his own future, but, uh, he's a cool guy. And we always talk about music just like, uh, Rick bird and I do, but, um, uh, Cliff had a chance to get signed. He was playing with a band and he was actually approached by Rick Hall of the famous uh, Muscle Shoals fame studios. And by that time, uh, he had broken up the band and started coaching seventh grade basketball. And Rick Hall said, you're giving up uh, a chance at music for that. And, you know, I don't know, half a de- half a century later you know he's he's been a d1 coach for half a century 
But he's so, uh, but he's still played cool. in bands and things over the years, though, right? Like he still had a, a sort of a music career in, in addition to coaching, right? Just sort of on the side. Yeah, his guys they played what's called beach music, and and not to be confused with Beach Boys or Jan and Dean. We're talking about music that you hear on the East Coast beaches. It's kind of like blue-eyed R&B type thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cliff was the lead singer. Um, he has a great story about uh, the great Ed and Jane uh, from Chess Records. It came down to Muscle Shoals, and she recorded that classic song, Tell Mama. And Cliff was just hanging around the studio, and Rick Hall handed him a tambourine and said, jump in. So uh, Cliff got to play tambourine on that classic track, Tell Mama. Uh, I, I just love music as much as I do basketball. You could probably tell that. But uh, Cliff and I always have great chats, and we send each other videos of music. I put him on to Susan Tedeschi uh, of the Tedeschi Trucks Band, and you'd have to know uh, your blues and stuff to truly appreciate her. Uh, but Cliff has never forgotten that, and and he always thanks me for putting me on to her. So he's a good dude, old Cliff, and long may he live uh, and and coach. Uh, in terms of players added to rosters, uh, there of course you you talk about conference changes and teams moving around. You got to do the same thing with the players. You almost need a, a big board to keep up with everybody. Uh, Kentucky added a Croatian big man, and I hope I'm saying his name right. Seven two Zvonimir Avisic. Uh, and somebody might correct me on that. But, uh, he committed for the class of 2023, says he's going to play at Kentucky this season. Uh, guy's seen as a, you know, a mobile big, a shot blocker, was good in the uh, under-20 European Championship. And really with some uh, some injuries to Aaron Bradshaw and Uganda on Yenso, uh, he could help maybe fill some gaps there if, if they need him to early in the season. So uh, a Croatian big man is headed toward Lexington. Yeah, I think it's <laughs> It's funny. Um Kentucky fans were having like uh, coronaries about a month ago. And Cal uh, was just like relaxed as he could be. And people were making fun of him. The pundits were getting on him. As the game passed him by, he kept saying, we're going to be all right. And that's when the, the, the rumors about Antonio Reeves taking summer courses at Illinois State were going in full blast. And that was pre- uh, Bob Huggins taking that fateful moonlight drive <laughs> uh, where he got the flat tire and you know the rest. And since that time, Antonio Reeves, who I think is one of the best scorers in college basketball, sixth man of the year in the SEC, has come back to the fold. Uh, Trey Mitchell lit out from West Virginia after Huggy, Boy, Huggy Bear left. And now he is uh, a, a, a solid, solid big man at Kentucky, and now we got this Croatian kid, Ivisic, and who knows if we're pronouncing it wrong. Uh, you know, we we won't know for a while. So for now, it's Ivisic. Uh, he he's a heck of a player with uh, a, a tremendous amount of international experience. So all of a sudden, they go from having like eight dudes, six of them freshmen, to now they've got a solid eleven. And most coaches will tell you. If you could promise them that they wouldn't have a turned ankle uh, during the course of the year or somebody uh, get mono, they would gladly take 11 scholarships. Sure. Gladly. 
Uh, coaching staff edition at Vanderbilt with a uh, Kentucky and Calipari connection. Uh, none other than Brad Calipari is joining uh, Jerry Stackhouse's yeah. staff as director of on-court player development. Uh, he was at LIU last season. He was a grad assistant at Kentucky uh, two seasons ago, but he played a couple seasons for his dad uh, for the Cats and then a couple years at Detroit. So Brad Calipari, uh, another in a long line of people who have gone from the, the Commonwealth to the Commodores, including Chris Stapleton. You were talking about music. We, we saw him in concert last weekend, a very, very talented uh, performer and songwriter. has written number one hits for everybody. And uh, like myself, he's just kind of a, a clean-cut Kentucky guy who's made, made the journey south, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think Brad, Brad Calipari, he, the one thing he could do, he was slower than Christmas. Uh, I mean, he, he was just a short, thick-legged kid, but he could shoot the rock. So uh, getting him on uh, on staff for stack, I mean, that's a, probably a, a shooting instructor for sure. And and I, I think, you know, it, it, it's wise. Um, I, I mean, Brad Calipari probably could have gone a lot of places. Uh, it, it was odd that that Detroit was where he chose to close out his his playing career, especially because Antoine Davis was there, and he was he was going to get let's say most of the touches. Uh, but Brad Calipari's doing it the right way. Uh, Coach Cal's kids are accomplished. Aaron Calipari is is a is a doctor, and and I think she exper- she she's into experimental stuff with he lives here, here in Nashville. Uh, yeah. in, in Nashville, mm-hmm. I think she works at Vanderbilt she Hospital. Mm-hmm. So she's a bright bright uh, individual. So uh, maybe that played into Brad's got a place to crash for a little while until he finds some some new digs. Uh, a couple other things to talk about. Really scary situation with Bronny James collapsing during a, a workout at USC. Uh, their team's getting ready to go on a, a tour overseas, but uh, he's 18 years old. He went into cardiac arrest. He was hospitalized, then released. Uh, by all accounts, is doing okay. But it, boy, you, that that's really scary. And, and a, first of all, you're you're happy that he's okay. But then you kind of wonder, okay, what does this mean for his basketball career? Yeah, that was really scary, and I I felt for LeBron, who's you know, been touched by the hand of God. Let's, let's face it. Uh, he never lifted a weight and he, he was built like Adonis from, from, from high school. And he's obviously dealt with injuries, but he's had a long and productive, obviously career in the NBA. And, and then for his son, um, I don't know uh, whether that condition was inherited or, or whether it was brought on by exertion, who knows, but, um, uh, hearts go out to that family and that kid. I hope is, I'm glad he's living and I hope he has a long life. But I also, secondarily, hope he can play. And uh, he's at USC, which was a good choice for him. Obviously, dad is nearby. But uh, that's always scary. It, it, it reminds me, didn't a kid collapse at Vanderbilt and, and the trainers brought him sure back? Did. Yeah. Uh, a young who man, was that? His name was Davis Awankwo. Uh, oh yeah, it, yeah. It happened. Gosh, it's probably been more than ten or I—I I can't remember how many 15, years ago. Fifteen, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, an athletic trainer used the defibrillator on him and brought him back, and I uh, sure did. Wow, it happened during practice. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I was talking about that with with James Strong, who's who's now he's moved it back into a, an assistant role with Vanderbilt, and uh, we, we were just talking about that like last year. I think maybe like after the uh, Demar Hamlin stuff happened you know, with the Buffalo Bills when they're playing that game in Cincinnati. Uh, we were talking right. about that, and James was saying he was out there that day when he was on the staff back then, too. Uh, 
but yeah, those things are really scary. And you, you think of uh, Keontae Johnson, you know, collapsing when he played for Florida, was able to come back, right. you know, and, and you know, play and, and still have a good career. So, uh, you know, th- those things can can work out and have happy endings to him. You hope that will be the case for Bronny James. But certainly, uh, all the best to him and and their family, and hopefully, uh, he'll be okay and, and and good to go. And whether it's basketball or everything else, uh, we'll have a, a long and healthy life ahead. Uh, Chris, as we finish up, uh, you've seen the Steph Curry documentary. What stood out, though? Man, you you are really on the cutting edge when it comes to to watching these uh, uh, movies and documentaries and everything. Uh, but tell tell me what stood out to you about the Steph Curry doc. Well, you know, I'm interested in documentaries of all sorts, and and I believe the best documentaries uh, should should follow adhere strictly, not strictly, but tightly. Uh, to two criteria. One is if you're a fan or knowledgeable of the person or subject that's being documented, you are enlightened and learn more than you previously knew, which is quite an accomplishment if you're the filmmaker. And uh, the second thing is if you're not a fan or you're not familiar with the subject that is being documented, this film will educate you and make you become a fan. So by those criteria, I think the Steph Curry doc on Apple TV, I know not a lot of people uh, have the Apple uh, uh, family of, of packages. I do. It's called Apple One. You can get Apple Music and Apple TV for one low price. Uh, mm-hmm. But I love the Steph Curry doc. Uh, I had the, the great privilege of seeing him when he looked like he was 10 years old and the Davidson uniform hung off of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you could tell then I could tell, you know, I've spent my life in gyms and, and not only playing, uh, not at a high level, but playing it, you know, a bunch and, and then obviously writing about and covering the game. And you can tell when somebody's got it and you, this scrawny kid was special. And, and you could you could just tell and it wasn't just a shot it, it was the fact that that he saw the game two steps ahead of everybody else the ball was always moving ahead uh, he wasn't a guy like Cliff Ellis was tell, tell me told me today about one of his guards of yesterday he said the kid pounds it too much which means he over dribbles yeah he's a black hole <laughs> and, and you know Steph Curry was not like that Steph Curry was thinking two steps ahead. Uh, it was well coached at, at Davidson by Bob McKillop. And the documentary did a great job, and this is something I teach my students. Linear storytelling to me, A to Z. Uh, so-and-so was born here and he died then. Hate that stuff. Boring. I'd rather switch back and forth in time. Non-linear storytelling. And this Steph Curry dog does it better uh, than about a, anything I've ever seen of intermingling the Warriors 2022 championship and steps finally getting the playoff MVP uh, or championship MVP uh, and interspersing that with, with his career at Davidson, which ended, obviously, uh, he passed up a shot. Uh, he, he gave the ball to Jason Richardson that would have beaten Kansas to put them in the 2009 uh, Final Four. So does a great job of setting up drama by switching back and forth. And then the coolest thing, and I, I'm going to admit, I got a little clamped on this. Uh, 
He always promised mama that he was going to get that Davidson degree. And Davidson always promised him that if you don't get that Davidson degree, we're not going to retire your number. So he worked on it, you know, behind the scenes over the years. He had some help from a Davidson professor. A couple of Stanford professors helped him out. And last year he walked. He got that degree and they showed the ceremony and and it was just touching. And then as soon as he threw his his cap, you know, the cap and gown, the regalia up in the air, a banner just unfurled huh. uh, from from the rafters up there. And I've been to that Valkyrie. <laughs> it's a cool little place. And it was just touching. And, you know, Steph Curry tells a greater story, Kevin, and you know it. You're, you're, you're a baller like me. It tells a greater story of a kid who was overlooked, and the name of the documentary is underrated. Uh, nobody wanted him. Not even Virginia Tech, the alma mater of his father, Dell. Uh, they wanted him to go to prep school or some stupid thing. And Davidson just said, man, we love this kid. He's going to fit in. And, and he said, I'm going to prove everybody wrong. And he's become, you know, I don't think there's much argument. Some, some might argue. Some might say Reggie Miller. I don't know, Larry Bird. But some say that he's the best shooter ever. And he did that through hard work. He's still not the biggest guy. He's still not the most athletic guy. Uh, but he's the smartest guy in the room. And he can stroke the rock. And uh, if you've got Apple TV, I mean, heck, do what my students do. Sign up for a free try <laughs> and drop it. Sorry, Apple. <laughs> Don't cash in my stock. Man, you're putting a dent uh, in their bottom line, Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But... Uh, I, I think they'll be okay. They got more yeah, money yeah. than most third world countries. Yeah, they, they got more money uh, than Davy Crockett, as uh, Forrest Gump said. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that doc is, is worth your time. Yeah, you, you're talking about nonlinear storytelling, and, and you mentioned Del Curry, and I was going to kind of wrap this up with, with, with this. I, I found myself stumbling back into the Last Dance documentary uh, about the, the Chicago Bulls and you know, when they, they won that sixth championship in 1998. I was watching that not long ago. And that is a master class in what you know, what you're talking oh, about, nonlinear storytelling, yeah. where, you, where you bounce back and forth between the years, and they used a little timeline to to make it clear where you were in, in terms of uh, yeah. you know the the arc of that team's success. But uh, during some of the clips, they were showing the Bulls playing the Charlotte Hornets in a playoff series, and and you saw Del Curry playing for the Hornets. That I was like, hey, there's Steph's dad uh, out there, but he was a fantastic player back in the day, uh, long career really in the was. NBA, and you know he was great at Virginia Tech back then, but. Um, yeah, th- those are really interesting things. I hope I get a chance to uh, to check out that Steph Curry documentary because I- I'm I'm a big fan and I-, I think he's the greatest shooter of all time. And he not only not only is a great shooter, but he cha- he has changed basketball. And you don't you can't say no that question. about very many players that they change the cannot. game, but, but he has changed the game in, in a lot of ways, including. Right. That's a great point. If you can say that you've had an impact on how the game is played, and, and there aren't that many. Uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think Bill Russell, probably, mm-hmm. um, magic Johnson, probably, uh, Kareem, probably, uh, you know, they had to ban the dunk because of Kareem wilt, uh, probably and Michael Jordan but, changed the game. I, I mean, yeah. Just, just from his competitive, competitive and, and athleticism and all the, all those things. Uh, no, no question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just, you know, you, his, 
you know, some would call it arrogance, but just his cocksure uh, attitude. You're not going to beat me. So, yeah, there's there's a very small list of people that have changed the way the game is fundamentally played, dating back to when the good Dr. Naismith hung that first peach basket. And uh, Steph Curry is certainly on that list. Chris, always a lot of fun. We'll do it again soon, man. Appreciate the time. Looking forward to it, brother. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. That is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.